Now take your Bible, hold your place right here, but go all the way over there with me to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. Now this is just an idea now. Because some things with prophecy, when it comes to the gospel, we should all be on the same page. Prophecy, be a little lenient with people. Not everybody sees everything uh, in agreement with prophecy because there's so many pieces of the puzzle. And uh, you might think you've got that puzzle all put together and somebody says, that piece don't belong there. That piece don't belong there. And then next thing you know, you're trying to figure that. And so be patient with people that don't see everything eye to eye with you. But when it comes to the gospel, make sure that it's all salvation by grace. But now notice what it says here. In verse 9, here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sat. Now some people say this is Rome. And some people say it's Jerusalem. Some people say it's the seven kingdoms. But whatever. In verse 10, and there are seven kings. So seven mountains. And we know that in the book of Daniel, it does refer to the stone becomes a great mountain, a kingdom upon the earth. And we know that the mountains can refer to a kingdom. So he says here, and there are seven kings, five fallen, one is, the other is not yet come. Or just as a possibility. You see, Judah and Benjamin form a, the southern uh, part of Israel because it was split after the reign of Solomon. And, uh, and then you had the ten tribes became Israel and they became Judah. And they had a capital in Samaria, and their capital was in Jerusalem. So there was 12 tribes, but they were carried off into captivity by the Assyrians. Then later on, Babylon came along and took the southern two tribes. But what you have is, there was before this, Egyptian that was holding the Jewish people in captivity. So you have the Assyrians, and then you have the I should say the Egyptians and the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the um, Medes and the Persians and Alexander, five fallen. One is when John was writing, which would have been the kingdom of Rome, and one is yet to come. So if that is true, then the one is yet to come is composed of these ten kings, and this is what it says. And therefore the king... I guess you say the Antichrist is going to be the eighth, but he'll be from the, the last one, which is composed of these ten kings. So you had five fallen, one is Rome, one yet to come, and they will consist of forming the last world ruling power. And they will give their power to the eighth. So you see what he says here in verse 11. Verse 11, and the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. Get this, and ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings. And in the book of Daniel 2 and then chapter uh, verse 44 talks about the ten toes. So I believe the ten toes, the ten kings, the ten horns are all pinpointing a particular time when the stone comes down and destroys the Gentile power ruling over Israel. That doesn't stop these nations from ruling because they'll be ruling in the kingdom, but they will be believers because all the unbelievers at the judgment of the nation are going to be cast into hell, in the lake of fire. And then those believers from different countries are going to have kingdom and rule and reign with the Lord. 
But he makes a statement here in verse 13. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. So this last person who is going to rule the world, these kingdoms are going to give their power to him. But he takes over by promising peace and safety and prosperity and a utopia upon the earth. And that's what everybody wants. The world is looking for a superman. Somebody that could figure out this mess we've got ourselves into. And they will very gladly give up all their power, all their rights to somebody who can do it. And so we'll wind up with a big old mean dictator. We are perfect for a dictator at this point. I even heard Donald Trump talking about when I become president, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. You ain't going to do nothing if Congress doesn't give you the right to do it. The president doesn't make the law. He can only enforce the law. And you'll hear all these politicians talking about what they're going to do. And when they get in there, what do they do? Because it's not in their power to do it. They can either approve or disapprove. They can either execute the law or not execute the law. They can obey the Constitution or not obey the Constitution. They execute law that's already written, or are supposed to. But they don't always do that. I, I was thinking about, here's some of these guys, you know, there's people already in Congress, and they're running for president. And they're trying to convince the 51% of those that are going to be voting to vote for them because they'll get in there and change this and they'll change that. I think to myself, if you can't convince 51% in the Senate or in the House, why are you trying to convince 30 million? You're already there. Do the job there. Convince them. You can't convince them. Why are you running for president? So, in my little way of thinking, if you're already there and you couldn't convince those people in Congress, and you got the Senate of 100 people and 400 and something in the House, if you can't convince them, what makes you think you're going to convince all the rest of the people to give you the chance? You already got the chance. You couldn't convince them. What makes you think you're going to convince the others? So anyway, maybe this is why I'm not running for office. I watch things and I get a little perturbed. But I also know that some things I'm not going to change. But there is something that I have been sent here to do, just like everybody other Christian. Let's just win as many as we can to the Lord while we can. And uh, I do believe that it would be great if some of God's people would run for office and get in there and protect our way of life. I think it would be great. I'm not against it. Because if you don't have Christians, what do you want, atheists? You want humanist educators in there? That's what we wind up with. And they say, well, we don't want these Christians in office because they're just trying to push their religion down our throat. <gasps> oh, well, then I won't go. So what do we do? We let the atheists get in there, and they push their religion down our throat, which is what they've done. But anyway, God says, one of these days, all these kingdoms, they're going to be destroyed. And one is going to come shining through. But now, look what he says here in this verse 14. These shall make war with the Lamb. This is the stone cut out of the mountain, and he's coming down, and he's going to destroy the Gentile powers 
and set up a kingdom upon the earth. And this takes place at the Battle of Armageddon. Now, take your Bible and look over there with me at another scripture. Let me see if I can find it right quick. And I believe, if you look there in uh, Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Look in verse 15. Remember, the tribulation period is God's judgment upon Israel because God's going to use the nations of the world to chasten Israel. Then God is going to chasten those nations that chastened Israel. <laughs> God does that often. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign for how long? Ever and ever. So that day is coming when the Lord is going to rule and reign upon this earth. Now, that day is almost here. But it ain't here yet, but it's, uh, it's a coming. That was another verse I was going to show you. But uh, take your Bible tonight and go back to the book of Daniel. Back to the book of Daniel. I just want to show you this. Real quick. In the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to come on the scene and he's going to promise a lot of things and he will exalt himself. So look in Daniel chapter 11, where it says, And the king shall do exceeding to his will. He shall exalt himself, magnify himself above every god shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods, shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that is determined shall be done. Uh, part of that phrase you'll find in chapter 9, when he's talking about the 70 weeks of Daniel, when there's desolation are determined for a certain period of time. So we have Christ who comes to the earth, he's cut off but not for himself, then we have this 2,000 years in here for the church age, and then we have the tribulation period that's going to start. It will be for seven years. That is the 70th week of Daniel. And so the 69th week of Daniel ended at the crucifixion of Christ, not his birth. This is why many people get mixed up on date setting and they go to his birth and it's not his birth. And talks about uh, the 32 weeks and so on. Talking about when he is cut off. And so not when he's born, when he's cut off. So there's a difference there. And now here in Daniel in chapter 11, kind of giving you a little bit of an idea of what this person is like. Look what he says in verse 37. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. Now you and I know that the Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2, Christ does not come back to the earth until first of all there is the departure and then the man of sin is revealed. Now I know we would love to sit down and try to figure out who is the man of sin? Who is the Antichrist? And so over the years people have come up with all kinds of people's names. It was Kissinger at one time. It's been the popes at different times. It's Obama and uh, it's, it's everybody. But According to the scriptures, it says he will not be revealed 
until first of all there is the departure, and then shall that wicked one be revealed. So he may not be revealed until then, but it is possible for the Antichrist to be alive right now. Somewhere, waiting, but we don't know. He might even be ruling someplace, but we don't know. When you go out on the limb and state emphatically, and then if it's not, what does that do to your credibility? Somebody may not believe when you say the gospel is. And I don't want to run that risk because that is more important to me for somebody to believe what I say about salvation by grace and grace alone than whether I was right on prophecy or not. And if I really even knew who the Antichrist was, as Hillary Clinton would say, what difference will it make? What am I going to change? What am I going to do about it? Or shouldn't I just be busy doing what I'm supposed to be doing? So anyway, as we go through some of these things, you'll notice that here in Daniel, and in chapter 11, he's talking about how he's going to be. And you and I know that in the tribulation period, the Antichrist goes into the temple and claims himself that he is God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, and he says he is God. So he gets his power from the devil. Remember, the Antichrist is not the devil because the Antichrist, the beast, is cast into the lake of fire a thousand years before the devil is put in there. So he can't be the devil. But he is receiving his authority and power from the devil. So here he makes this statement. He respects nothing but force. Uh, let me just throw this out here for you. We have um, the uh, Muslim countries, and, um, and I've mentioned this before. There's not much logic and reasoning you can do except they respect force. And force is the only thing they're going to respect. You've got to stop them. Well, we want to have dialogues. We're going to reason, use some logic. Forget that bird, that ain't going to hunt. So this is, I believe, some things. In it. Now look what he says here, and I want you to see this. In verse 41, he shall enter also into the glorious land, which is the land of Israel. Many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the countries of uh, children of Ammon. And he does all these things. But now notice what he says down here in verse 45. He shall plant the tabernacle of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. The holy mountain is Israel. And he's talking about he's going to rule and reign. He claims himself that he is God. So he goes there and the Bible says in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15, when Jesus is describing it, he says concerning this, when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet, stand in the holy place. Then you which are in Judea are to flee into the mountains. Get out of there because he's going to destroy. He's going to destroy. And so this is why you're supposed to get out and run for your life. I used to have little Jordan, my little grandson. And I would start chasing him around the house. And I says, run for your life. Here comes the creature from the black lagoon. And I would chase that little rascal all over. I did the same thing with my son. Then 30 years later, he has a son, so I did his son too. No. 
Run for your life. But you and I, what are going to happen to you and I? Well, we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Now, if you'll notice this, look there in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. It says, in verse 17, These great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. But the saints, the saints, that's you and I, of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom for how long? Forever, even forever and ever. Now, if you wanted to know anything about these four beasts that's going to come up, which one would you want to know about? Number one? Number two? Number three? Or number four? Now, you know from chapter 7 and verse 7, that's the most wicked one. That's the one that I'd want to know about. Because this is the one that's talked about here. So he says there in verse 19, Then I would know the truth about the, which one? Fourth beast. And look in verse 20. And of the ten horns that were in his head. So this last beast has ten horns. And according to Revelation chapter 17, ten horns, ten kings, ten toes is this last beast. And remember, and they give their power unto this Antichrist that comes upon the scene. Now notice what he said in verse 21. I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. So the believers lose during the tribulation period. Multitudes of believers are killed during the tribulation period. Did you know in chapter 20 of the book of Revelation it says, And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the testimony of Christ. Hmm. I wonder who in the world would go around beheading people. This last government is going to be doing a lot of that. Do you know any government, any religious beliefs that likes to cut off people's heads? Now, I'm not saying it is, but it sure looks good about who it might be. But if you look here, it says, until, see there in verse 22, until the Ancient of Days came. And judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. So you see, they're going to do their rule, and they're going to be bad. And the tribulation is wicked, but they're going to go only until the Ancient of Days come. Now the Ancient of Days is mentioned also there in verse 9 of chapter 7, and in verse 13 of chapter 7, Talking about the ancient of days. The Lord is coming back. He's coming back. And when He comes, He's going to end those ruling powers upon the earth. The beast and the false prophet are going to be cast into the um, lake of fire. thousand years later, the devil will be cast in there with them. And He says here in verse 23, Thus He says, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. So devour the whole earth. So, you know, there's always people trying to figure out, all right, when it really gets bad, I want to find a place where I can go and hide. Okay. Where can you go and hide that you can't be found? Hmm. Did you know that even during the tribulation period, it says they were hiding in the rocks and the mountains and caves and praying that the mountains and all would fall on them and kill them? And you're talking about the walking, the living dead? 
They want to die and can't die. <laughs> For some reason, I don't know what it is, but there's a time when they can't die. They want to die. They desire to die because it's so bad. But there's people who think, well, you know, I'm going to get myself a place on the backside of some mountain up there in Alaska, find me a little cave and live in it, and store up all my food and all my guns and all my ammunition, and I'm ready. Okay. Go into all the world and hide in a cave. Where does that command stop being a command? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. How can I obey that by being a hermit? I ain't figured it out yet. So there's little things about the scriptures that kind of keeps me, just keep plugging away. Just keep plugging away. And you'll be glad that you did. But let me give you one last verse. Look there in verse 27. And the kingdoms and dominions and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. We win. Do you see that? We win. Regardless of what happens between now and then, we win. And that's good news. Now, is that good news or what? As Freddie Cole will say, ain't that good? Ain't that good? Ain't that good? That is good. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents all of our sins. We all have sin on us. God loves us, but he hates our sin. Now, for us to pay for sin is eternal separation from God in hell. But God loves us. God doesn't want us to go to hell. He wants us to go to heaven. But to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, as righteous as God. Nobody's perfect. We've all sinned. We've all come short of God's perfection. And so because of sin, we, we can't get in. So the Bible says we cannot save ourselves. So we can't do anything to get to heaven because we're already condemned, found guilty. We've got a debt to pay. So we can't go to heaven. It's impossible. Nothing we do can get us to heaven because we have a debt to pay, and that's eternal separation from God. We're all in the same boat. So unless God does something, there's nothing we can do. So Jesus Christ, this hand representing Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came into the world because he loves us. He displayed his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not when you were a saint, he did it while you were yet a sinner. So Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. So he took all the sin of all the world, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead. He said that if you and I would believe that he did that for us, he would put that payment to your account, and we would go to heaven on what he did. Fifty-five years ago, I heard this message for the first time. I was 18 years old, so I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I heard that I could not save myself. I thought I was pretty good. And I had to repent, change my mind. I cannot save myself. So I had to change my mind and trust Christ as my Savior. I repented. You see, if you are an unbeliever and you believe, you had to change your mind. True? So I can lead a lot of people to the Lord without ever telling them to repent. But I can tell a person who's lost, you need to change your mind. You need to believe on Jesus Christ. You don't believe it now. Will you believe it? And when you believe that, he gives you as a free gift everlasting life. You go to heaven on what Christ did for you. 
So change your mind and believe it. That is what God wants you to do as a result of your changing your mind. So if you're here today and you think that your good life is going to get you to heaven, change your mind. If you think giving money, singing in the choir, being a deacon, an usher, whatever. I love my husband and my wife and kids. Well, that's wonderful, but that doesn't save you. You need a Savior, and Jesus Christ is the only Savior there is. See, we can't save ourselves. Impossible. That's why you don't have to turn from your sin. He paid for it. What He wants you and I to do is believe He did it for us. That made sense to me. So I trusted Christ as my Savior years ago, and that's how I know that I'm going to heaven whenever I die. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, if you've never done so, today would be a perfect day. This would be a good moment for you to truly trust Jesus Christ and Him alone as your only hope of going to heaven. I'm going to ask you in just a moment to raise your hand. Raising your hand doesn't save you. I'm not going to have you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. But right where you're sitting, if what I said made sense to you, say, Preacher, that made sense to me, and I want to be certain I'm going to heaven. And right now, I do change my mind. I'm going to trust Christ and Him alone as my only hope of going to heaven, and I'd like for you to pray for me. Friend, would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to have you stand up or come forward, but right where you are, did it make sense? Will you trust Christ as your Savior? Anyone at all? If you're watching by internet, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, right there on the screen, you can click it on and let us know that someone trusted Christ as their Savior. Our Father, we thank you so much for all you've done for us, for giving us the free gift of everlasting life. And Father, we also pray that each person here that knows your Savior would realize if there's things in their life that they're doing that's not right, that they would repent. Change your mind. Reconsider and see that some things need to be corrected. That it could lead to a change of life because each one of us should live in such a way that shows how much we love you and what you've done for us. So bless each one. We ask you to bless our time together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.